just want to say welcome. Uh, it's an honor that you are with us this morning. Uh, and, and for those of you who braved out and came out today, thank you so much for being here. Uh, welcome. If you are new with us, um, congratulations, you found us. All right. You shouldn't have this problem anymore, uh, hopefully. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 4. And you, you probably, I don't know if you've read, um, pre-read through this and wondering how are we going to get a sermon out of calling out a bunch of names. I don't know, but we're going to try it and just see what happens, right? So if this is just one of those sermons where you're like, I have no idea what he just said, we'll just pray that the sovereign God of the universe cover this sermon, all right? That's what we're going to do. Y'all didn't have to amen it that much. It's not going to be that bad, I hope. All right, so um, if there were ever a time, and I feel like I'm really loud, um, I don't know if, you, I don't know it's because my ears are still ringing from Aaron, but I, it's, it's one of the two. <laughs> um, um, oh, Aaron, you're in here. I'm sorry, I thought you left. Okay. Uh, if there were ever a time when you're reading through scripture, you're thinking, man, I wish there were a lot more guys named Bill or Joe. This is one of those times. Uh, you're reading through, you're just like, to teach us. Tachichus, and that's how we say it in West Point, but that's not how you pronounce his name. But um, we're going to pick it up in verse 7, uh, and, and we're, we're going to just close it out this morning. Tychicus, we'll go with that. He will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, he greets you. And Mark, and your translation may have John Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, tough name to follow here, who is also called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. That you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of Laodiceans to the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Again, I want to pray over the reading of God's word this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. Even though it just feels like we just read through just a bunch of names and greetings, it is your word. And in it, we will find life, and we will find encouragement, and in it, we will find the truth of the gospel. Help us to hear, and help us to do, in Jesus' name, amen. 
So this marks week number 10 in our study of Colossians. This also marks the last week in our study of uh, Colossians. And I know some of you may be grieving internally, and that's okay. We'll, we'll have a time designated at the end of the service for you, uh, which will lead us into a fall series, which will then lead us into Advent, uh, which, good Lord, can you already believe it's, it's approaching us pretty quickly, all right? So uh, I'll email you, you email me, I'll tell you what I want for Christmas. We'll, we'll go however <laughs> you want to do it. Um, and then in, in the weeks of Advent, we're going to go going through a series uh, of eschatology, or that's just a week, a, a study of the end time. So <laughs> that ought to be fun. Um, and, and you're probably wondering, well, what does that have to do with Christmas? Well, you just have to stick around and find out. Now, Amen. book of Colossians. Let me recap for us, if I can, uh, and just catch us up because we are concluding this series. Uh, if you remember, right out of the gate, Paul wants to do something to the Colossians because Epaphras is known as the pastor of this church, went to go visit Paul, and he's telling them of, of some concerns that he has of, of his infant church there in Colossae about some things that have been creeping up into the church. And so Paul is addressing those things and also exhorting the church for a lot of good things that they're doing. But Paul wants to just kind of out of the gate remind them of the deity of Christ. And that's exactly what Paul does in the first chapter. He, display, he gives us one of the best displays of the deity of who Jesus Christ is. He says that he is the firstborn, but not in a created sense. But Jesus Christ is the firstborn in that he, this is a title. This is a title of royalty and divinity of Jesus. He says that by him, for him, and through him, all things are created. In other words, Jesus then is the active agent that was in creation back in Genesis chapter 1. Not only is he the active agent, but he is preeminent. That he paints then this reality of who we are. And that Paul goes from... Look how beautiful and glorious and big and magnificent Jesus is. And then without Jesus, let's look at who you are. You're alienated, you're hostile, and you're evil in your deeds. Okay. Pastor encourager for us this morning. Yeah. You bunch of alienated jokers. Without Christ, you're evil and wicked. But then he doesn't just leave us there. Like... Then when you have, he then reminds you like you're to put off your old self. And then now here is how you are to respond because of what happens internally. What Christ does inside of you. This is the outworking of the gospel in your life. And then where does he start with that outworking of the gospel? He starts in the home. He tells you you're to be compassionate. You're to be loving. You're to be kind. And this is to first be outworked inside of your home. And then Paul concludes with a prayer and he says, I want y'all to pray for me. Pray that more doors are open. He doesn't ask for prison doors to open because where's Paul at? He's in jail. In fact, this is almost the end of Paul's life. He doesn't ask for someone to come rescue him and bail him out. That would be my prayer and request. Because folks like me don't do well in jail. Amen? amen. I mean, I guess you didn't have to amen that, but that's all right. <laughs> I could hold my own, but in jail, I probably can't, right? So I would be begging, but not Paul. Paul's like, I just, I, I want this to continue. Now, here's how I know this is the, the Bible. This is just one of the, um, the evidences that I, of, of the scripture um, and how I know that it's true. Paul, again, is in prison, 
And he's praying for more doors to open so that the gospel, the gospel can be spread. It's, and where are you and I at this morning? We're here. We're reading about Paul, how he was praying for more open doors. And as a result of a prayer, as a result of the gospel continuing and not stopping because he's found himself in some prison cell, you and I are a result of that. All the way over in here in West Point, Georgia. We are a result of the gospel, not stopping, but continuing. And in this text this morning, we find ourselves where Paul is kind of giving like, uh, it, it almost sounds like an award ceremony going on. First, I'd like to thank God, because everybody thanks God. I don't even know if they believe in God, but the first, when you're listening to an award show, I'd like to first thank God. I'd like to thank my mom and dad. I'd like to thank my spouse I'd like to thank this person it, it almost sounds like this is what Paul is doing it's like like this this holy award ceremony where Paul is like I need to give y'all like some important names and you're going to find that you probably never heard of some of these jokers and then you have heard of some of these folks Paul is thanking them he takes time in a letter with his own hand so now he's had this scribe walking with him, writing all of this. And now Paul's like, listen, I, I want to take over. Let me write it with my own hand and thank these people. There's a couple of observations that I think that we can make from this list. Because if you're not careful, when you get to scriptures like this, you see a bunch of names. You're just going to tend to, to, to just kind of read over it. And then where you're at, you're in 1 Thessalonians. What's the importance of a list of names? It's kind of like how some of us, I ain't going to call no names myself, when we start our reading plan, our yearly reading plan, we get to where? The genealogies. Three months later, we're like, oh man, I forgot. I was at that boring part where they were talking about how this person begot this person, this person begot that person, this person begot that person, and that person begot this person. And if we're not careful, we will take a scripture like that and just kind of uh, glance over it as if it has no significance. But there is significance in the scripture, believe it or not. And there are a couple of observations that we can make that can be made from this list of names and that it says a lot about the gospel. It says a lot about the gospel and how the gospel is in action. How Paul is not this lone dude doing things by himself but it shows the power of the gospel where Paul has been preaching it and Paul has been proclaiming it and a lot of these very very same people that we just read about were actual converts from Paul proclaiming the message of Jesus to them that's the power of the gospel, not only in, in a way that it shows the power of the gospel, but it shows how the gospel should influence our relationships. Amen. You could see here that this was not just Paul doing things by himself, because yet again, he's in prison, he's going to need a team around him. So we see that how this gospel actively working around him is also actively working in a way that it has influenced relationships. In the early Christians, they relied on networks of friends. They relied heavily on people. And Paul's relying on a lot of uh, some, some, some nobodies to some heavy hitter guys. I mean, if you're carrying a letter in the ancient world, you, you, you probably shouldn't do it by yourself. So like some of these guys, we could can, we can probably assume that some of these guys were pretty tough. 
And, and then if you look and, and you, you notice here, it's not just guys either. It's not just a doctor. It was a former slave. It's not just a former slave. It's one guy whose name is Jesus. God help him because he's got a hard act to follow. So they're just like, eh, we'll just call you justice. <laughs> no, I don't want no confusion. You know what we know about justice? Nothing. We, uh, we know absolutely nothing about him. And there's even a lady in here working. She's hosting the church. So you get this image of how the gospel is influencing and affecting relationships. Because who was on this list? Both Jews and Gentiles. Amen. Now for some strange reason, we think that racial tension is new. That it was just birthed in the last century. Probably the only thing that's new about it is that everybody's got a cell phone and you can video record everything. <laughs> Racial tension traces back to Genesis chapter 3. Racial tension was here and it was alive in the first few centuries. Jews, Gentiles. Half this list is Jews. The other half is people from all different types of racial backgrounds. Okay. And what are they doing? They're working together. This is a very diverse group of people. So not only do we need a team of people around us, I'm hoping that your team of people that are around you doing life together don't look and smell like you do. I mean, I don't know if like other people have a different smell. That's just kind of weird. Let me move on. Uh, but like, I think the, the, the people around you like, shouldn't look like you all the time. This is, this is what the gospel did. It took people from various backgrounds and various races and various work ethnics and it brought them together and reconciled them together. And it's called the church. I want to take us through some of these names because this is this is quite interesting, and you'll see how like uh, you, you'll see how how the gospel impacted these people, and and also impacted how they did life with each other. Look at this first guy, Tychicus, or again, if we're in West Point, Tychicus. You know, I kind of like that better. Um, or if you just don't even want to try, just call him Ty, all right? T-Y, that, that, that works. The Bible calls him a faithful partner. In other scriptures, he's carrying an offering. I mean, if you're carrying an offering in the ancient world, you kind of, you, you better be able to hold your own. This is a rough guy. This is a good guy you want on your team here. He's entrusted with pastoral ministry. In fact, I believe he relieves... Titus in the Isle of Crete so that he can go visit with Paul. So this is a pastor. This is a guy that Paul entrusts. He is faithful. Onesimus, like we've, we've, we've heard a lot about Onesimus. This guy's, this guy's a mess. He's got a lot of baggage. Former slave. We know that the power of the gospel deeply impacted his life. He, he ran away from Philemon. If you all remember the story, right? And he meets a guy named Paul in Ephesus. And Paul shares the gospel and he is transformed by the power of the gospel. 
Paul then sends Philemon back with a letter to Philemon. And he tells Philemon, it's kind of like one of those, it's almost sarcastic. It's like, you know, I know that, you know, Philemon, he's done some things, but I'm strongly urging you to call him a brother. It's like Paul's like, listen, you, you really need to view him as a brother. And, and so now we, we see that Paul wasn't um, silent on slavery. I mean, he's saying, listen, once was a slave, now he's useful for you. He's, he's got some incredible baggage, and, and yet look and see what, whose team he's on here. Paul. Paul's using people who are pastors, who are strong in their faith, and he's even using people who have incredible, incredible baggage and whose life was a mess yeah. before Jesus. Just not an image of what the church should look like. Like, sure, we need pastors. Yes, we need godly, faithful men and women in the church. But if that's all, if there are any people who are willing to stand up and say how messy their life is or was. And it just sounds like a club to me. Aristarchus, like this guy, you need this guy too. This guy was drugging the mud with Paul. He's in prison. And most people believe like he had, he had no reason to be there. Could you imagine just volunteering to go to prison with someone just because you loved him? All right, show of hands, who would do that? If you raise in your hand, you're a liar, okay? <laughs> I just don't think... That there's a love between you and another person that you would go to jail with them. This guy's like, I love Paul so much and I'm willing to be in the trenches with him. I'll go to jail with him. We need some of those people in our lives too. When you're at your darkest and most vulnerable place in life, who's there with you? Do you have someone like that? Because you sure ought to. Someone who will go to jail with you. You need that person in your life. And I'm not saying you need to go to jail. Please don't go to jail. I'll visit you, but I ain't coming to stay with you. All right? Okay, just okay. let that out clear. Mark. John Mark. You guys remember this story? This is a fascinating story about John Mark. Paul in his first missionary journey. He takes Mark. Mark gets a little creeped out. He's like, mm, this ain't for me. Paul calls him a deserter. Comes back, he's about to go back to his other journey. This time he's with Barnabas. Barnabas is like, Barnabas is like, listen, we got, we got to take John Mark back into the fold. Paul's like, no, we ain't doing that. This guy left me by myself. I'm not taking him anywhere with me. And so the Bible calls this, like, there's a big split between Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas is like, listen, we've got to work with this guy. He's willing to go. Let's give him a second chance. Barnabas takes Mark. He introduces him to this guy. You may have heard of him named Peter. <laughs> Peter disciples Mark. And what does Mark do? Writes the gospel of Mark. You read it. 
you read what this guy, who Paul once called a deserter of the faith here, left me high and dry, yet Barnabas saw something in him is what I want to believe. And he wasn't going to take the route of Paul. And so he introduced him to this legend we call Peter, right? He writes the gospel of Mark. And now look what Paul says about him. He says he's useful now. This is my guy. Create him for me. Concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him in. He's with me now. See what the gospel does? I mean, you've been shunned before. You've been abandoned, or, or maybe even uh, you have left somewhere, someplace, in not the right kind of way. You see what the gospel does in relationships? It reconciles. And I don't know how long this was, this time lapse between Paul saying adios to now Paul saying, hey, he's with me now. But the power of the gospel is something to behold in that it takes people who have once had friction in their life and reconciles them back together. This is something that the world should be, when they see us, they're like, we've got to be doing it the way of the church. Justice, as I, as I said, we know nothing about him. You know, the only thing, actually, I take that back, we know one thing about him. He was helping didn't have a title. I mean, we, don't, we know nothing about this guy. We just know he showed up. I hope, you're, I hope you're getting this. Like, I hope you're understanding, like, this is the church. This is what the church looks like. Okay. Some of you, you may not ever have a title. It's, it, it, and I, this is going to sound, like, devastating and almost like, really rude, I don't mean it this way, when you die, you'll be forgotten. Mark, who's not here this morning, he bought me a t-shirt, and it says, preach the gospel, die, be forgotten. <laughs> I was like, thank you, I think. So I used it to paint in, and I kind of like painted over some of the words. <laughs> Just preach the gospel. <laughs> Here's a reality. You'll be forgotten. What do you do in the meantime? Just show up. Do what God's called you to do. Serve. You may not have accolades to be rejoiced over on your deathbed. But I wonder if they would just say, you know what, here's a guy. He showed up and he just did work. Epaphras, this guy was a heavy hitter too, a bond slave of Jesus likely the founder of the church of Colossae, traveled to Rome to talk about his concerns with Paul. And then he comes back. Then Luke, you may have heard of this guy too, the great physician here, Dr. Luke, the one who wrote Luke, <laughs> in case you hadn't got it yet. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I thought I heard about that. Not the force guy. No, that's the wrong Luke. This Luke. This Luke wrote, Luke wrote Acts. That's right. 
This is why we, we should also, I hope you see this, we need some, this guy is full of wisdom here. You need wisdom, you surround yourself with wisdom. This is why we, we need some, some age also in here. And I know some of you who are of age, I'm not calling any names, I don't want to offend anyone. You know, it's, it's like, I, I've, and I've heard this before, and I'm just going to share from my heart if I can. Uh, some elderly, oh, elderly, that's not even a word, some, some elder people, <laughs> they'll come in refuge, they'll stay for a little while, and sometimes I'll, they'll come to me, and they're like, yeah, we just kind of love a shot of water. I, I understand what they're saying, but you're not. I know it's like, we got your plugs out there for you. <laughs> but you have a sole purpose, like we need your wisdom. I'm going to be the first to admit I don't know it all. I know. Some of you thought that about me, but I don't. This is why we need to grow in some gray this morning. Demas. <laughs> Poor Demas. Demas kind of gets the shaft in 2 Timothy 4.10. He's only mentioned with condemnation. Paul's like, yeah, he left the faith. Please don't be that guy. But it is indicative of how people will come in your life and they will betray you. Nympha. Awkward name. We'll move on. This is likely a female. Some scholars <coughs> suggest that she was probably unmarried, widowed. Paul takes some time not just to give you some long list of the Bible is just for men. But look what he does. Hey, Nympha, she is hosting this church. Amen. It's powerful. Narcopus, this guy sounds like he's got marching orders. God help him. See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. This is a picture and a beautiful picture of the gospel. And honestly, if I were to just to categorize this whole thing, this is what the church looked like then and what it must continue to look like. If we are to continue to grow as a church, if you are to continue to grow as a disciple, these are some of the people that you need in your life. And I don't think that's me just kind of making something of this text that shouldn't be made of. I really do think this is what's happening here. You need people who are wiser than you, smarter than you. You need people who will be with you in the dark night of your soul. You need these kind of people and surround yourself. Because the other observation I have is that of Paul. Paul, who we want to think of as some superhuman guy just going on mission uh, at Ephesus at the feet of the elders there, tells them, I'm going back to Rome where imprisonment awaits me, goes to Rome, is imprisoned, is writing this letter while he's in prison, but he's not by himself. Okay. What a powerful thing to be said of Paul, that he's not doing this by himself. Even Paul needed a team to see to it that the gospel would continue. Amen. Even Paul realized that he wasn't meant to do this by himself. Paul understood that he needed this type of person, this type of person, and even the nobodies to help him see to it that the gospel continues. 
He's writing this in his office, which was his jail cell. We also see this about Paul, another observation about Paul, like, like this brother's practicing what he's preaching. He talks a lot about the New in the New Testament. He's got a lot of he's got a lot of street cred, but Paul is and he inspired love and loyalty. And any picture of him being the loner is not an accurate picture of who Paul really was. And, and, and it reveals a lot about how vulnerable and committed he was to this. This final verse, verse 18, I, Paul, I write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Now, he's not asking for your pity. He's not saying, remember me. I'm out here suffering for Jesus. This should let us know something about Paul, that if you are a part of this, this feathering the gospel, if Christ has redeemed you and saved you, if you are a part of that, this family that's out making disciples, that's out growing, that's out and, and producing and making disciples and sharing their faith, I want you to see something in this final verse that sometimes it won't end well. Okay. There will, and quite honestly, be consequences. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Share your gospel. Okay. Share the gospel. And someone may call you a fool. Share the gospel and someone may not be converted. That's not on you though. There are no guarantees that when you come and you join and you play in this game of sharing the gospel and going and making disciples, that you probably won't be the doctor writing. You probably won't be Epaphras who's going back and forth pastoring the church at Colossae. You may just be the justice. And you've got to come to the reality that that's okay. I'm just going to show up and do my part. You also got to come to the conclusion that as you are sharing the gospel, there may be consequences. And I don't think this is far off for me to say that America, we are not too far off from there being consequences for you going to church. Amen. You may end up on a mission field okay. and you may die for the sake of the gospel. God may call you to another neighborhood or to another state or to some other foreign place. Okay. And it may not end up okay for you. You have to be okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. God calls us. God calls pastors to plant churches. And they may be effective 10, 20, 30 years, but sometimes they may shut down. And I think the reason why we're, we have to be okay with this is because this isn't about us. Amen. It's just being like justice, showing up, yeah. doing our part, sharing the gospel. Paul, he's viewed as a celebrity, but he's not a celebrity. There are no such things as in church. Somebody made that up. He was willing to risk even imprisonment. If you know the rest of Paul's story, it doesn't end for him. Spoiler alert, he dies. And it ain't pleasant either. 
He lifted meant Paul sending people out this way, out this way. I mean, he wanted to be, I, I get this sense when he's at, uh, when he's before he leaves for Rome and he's in Ephesus and he's with these elders. I mean, the Bible says they just, they, they kneel down and they mourn and they weep together. I mean, I get this sense. I want to say that, man, Paul, he doesn't look like he wants to leave. He'd rather stay there and just be a pastor to these people and do ministry. But he realized he had a larger part to play, even if it meant his death. And I just want to close with two practical questions that I think that we could, we could apply from this. The first question would be, like, who are you hanging with? Like, I guess you could almost say, like, who's on your team or who, who are you doing life with? If you're doing life with just a bunch of knuckleheads and morons, it may be time to change. All right, if you're doing life with me and you call me a moron, that doesn't count, all right? I, I've recognized many times from this pulpit that I'm a moron. I'm talking about the morons who are far from Christ, try to pull you from a different direction. And if that's all you're hanging around and that's all you're doing life with, it may not end up well with you. Okay. Who are you doing life with is the question. If you're not doing life with anybody, like purpose of the church. Another question is, are you willing, like Paul, like all of these men and women, who would eventually come to their death, most likely for the cause of the gospel? Are you willing to risk everything? Christianity didn't go very well. A few years ago, Brent and I, we were, we had the, the honor to go to Italy, and it was a beautiful place. I think I'll retire there next year. Um, it's a beautiful place. I remember going through some of the cobblestones where Paul probably walked. So, I mean, it's just an overwhelming feeling. It's probably greater if you go to the Holy Lands, but we had to suffer for Jesus in Italy. We're in Rome. <laughs> you know, no big deal. I remember seeing the, the Colosseum <coughs> broken down, going into the Colosseum, and the very Colosseum where a lot of these brothers and sisters would meet their death by lions, death by crucifixion. What once stood as a coliseum of death to the Christian, you know what's on that coliseum right now? A cross. Amen. The cross always will outlast any brutality. So that's the hope we have, because if I'm willing to risk it all for the gospel, I know in the end, hey, I may just be a justice. Amen. I may just be a nympha who's just opening up my home for people. In the end, it doesn't matter because I know that the cause of Christ will continue. And it will take things like that of the Colosseum, which represented death and the martyrdom of the Christians and we'll now take it as a symbol of the cross of Christ. I'm willing to risk it all because I know in the end, we win. I know in the end, the gospel is not going to fail. I know in the end that when Paul prayed, pray for more open doors, I know he was right because we're here. So I'm willing to risk my life for that. My question for you is, are you willing to risk it all? Are you willing to risk it even if you lose friends in the process? Yeah. 
Are you willing to risk it even if he calls you to Sudan? Even if he calls you to Iran? Even if he calls you to China? Are you willing to risk it? That's what Christ has called you into. And even if it means your death, that's okay. Because I know that the gospel will not stop. And it didn't stop. Because here we are. Let's pray.